10 uh, today. Let me pray uh, uh, that God would um, do mighty things through the reading of his word this morning. Pray with me. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are a true and mighty God. Uh, Lord, that you are a, a creator who created everything out of nothing, that you were the creator that created everything out of nothing, and that you are a gracious and loving father that pursues your children. And uh, Lord, that uh, by your grace, your son, uh, Jesus came um, to be our substitute. God, I, I thank you that uh, in Christ we are new creations and that by your Holy Spirit, you give us um, new life and uh, a victorious way of living. And God, that by your Holy Spirit, the scripture was inspired and uh, written down and preserved for our benefit. And by your Holy Spirit, you can give us understanding. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you do that today. And that by your Holy Spirit, you would uh, change us to be more like Jesus. That you would open our eyes to see your glory. Open our eyes to see our sin and our need for you. Uh, and God, that we would understand your grace and, and that you would draw us closer to you. We, we pray that you would do mighty things for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one that has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus takes us from a life of fear and brokenness and leads us to a life of enduring joy. And this is good news for us for eternity and here and now. Think of a time that you had to endure something. I mean, anything. Think of a time that you had to endure uh, maybe training. Maybe you're in the military and you had to endure boot camp. Maybe you were training for something fun like a marathon and you were enduring rigorous training Maybe you had to endure difficult schooling. Some of you guys are med students. Uh, maybe you've endured a, a difficult time of work. Think about the ways that you endured those challenges. For some of us, maybe it was endurance of a little more serious matter. Maybe you had to endure a time of intense illness. Or maybe someone in your family uh, struggled with, with cancer or had some sort of heavy illness that 
you had to endure or watch someone endure. Maybe you've had family tension over the years. Maybe uh, you've had tension with your parents or with your siblings. Maybe uh, you have a wayward child. Maybe you were the wayward child. Maybe you have walked through a season of divorce or a season where your faith was tested. Think about the times that you have had to endure some sort of suffering, some sort of tension, something very heavy, and your faith was tested to the point of doubts and fear, to the point of having it giving way. How did you endure those trials? And what was the outcome of those trials? How did you find joy in a time of intense endurance? The writer of Hebrews is addressing the first century church who is dealing with a great amount of persecution. Some dealing with political persecution, religious persecution, some dealing with cultural detachment, even family tension. It was very common for someone, as it may be for you today, to follow Christ, and that causes a rift or a detachment from your family. What do you find to be your source of joy in the midst of that? Because the writer of Hebrews points us to Christ, reminds us of the gospel, in that it's not a do better, try harder. It's not a get your act together so that you can find joy, but rather look to Christ, the source of your joy in the time of intense struggle. And there's a call to endurance. So a couple things I want us to look at today. It's Palm Sunday as we reflect on the beginning of the last week of Christ. As, as if you're familiar with the gospel story, when he enters the city gates and people are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As we have this picture of Christ entering into the city and people proclaiming, save us, Lord, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is my hope and prayer that as we look at the Hebrews uh, writing today that we can see a couple things. First, we willfully sin when we forget the gospel. And second, we endure with faith when we remember the gospel. Those are the two things we're going to look at today. We willfully sin when we forget the gospel. And then secondly, uh, we endure with faith when we remember the gospel. So first, let's look at this. We willfully sin when we forget the gospel. Keep in mind, the writer of uh, Hebrews here is writing to a church, people who have, uh, who have come to faith in Christ, some of whom knew uh, apostles and, and um, those who followed directly with Jesus. And so he, uh, the writer is writing, reminding them to not forget the gospel, but rather remember it. And here is what he says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Is that a scary statement for anyone but me? That's a very scary statement to have someone write to you, say, look, if you sin deliberately after you've received knowledge of the gospel, if you go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's terrifying to me. I don't know about you, but uh, when I read in the Old Testament, when God's judgment would fall upon a city, think Sodom and Gomorrah. Think the flood of Noah. When God puts his judgment it is scary. 
I mean, there, there, is, there is no safety from God's judgment, right? I mean, you're just like, well, what do you do? A couple, last year, uh, a Bible movie came on um, the History Channel. We bought the DVD. I personally liked it. Some people took issue with the Ninja Angels. I thought it was pretty rad. Um, but there are scenes when God's judgment comes upon people, and, and that's just a movie, and it was scary, right? And here the writer says, look, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, what I want us to see here, because hopefully you are squirming in your seat. Part of the gospel is understanding the God that has saved you. We can't paint a picture of God being this happy old man in the clouds. Just, hey, how you doing? Come on over, sit over on this little billow next to me. We have to understand that he is a creator who created everything out of nothing. That within his power and within his holy uh, right, he can destroy things that do not honor him, including people or cities or the earth. This is not fear-mongering. I am not trying to uh, scare you into salvation, nor do I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing, but rather the writer of Hebrews is wanting to remind believers, as I want you and I to be reminded today, of who this God is that has created you, and also who this God is that has rescued you. You see here, the writer does not say, hey, um, if you are ignorant and just didn't know better, God's just going to cast his judgment on you. Is that what he says here? Not at all. He says, if we go on sinning deliberately, that is voluntary wrongdoing, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that is Jesus by the Holy Spirit revealing himself to you in your heart, in your mind, God showing his beauty and his grace to you, saying, I am a loving father that wants to save you as my child. I am a loving God who wants to rescue you. I am a gracious creator that wants to restore you to your created purpose and image. That is God doing that and us looking him in the face saying, no, and walking away. Voluntary wrongdoing, deliberate sinning is what it says here, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Sin is perpetuating brokenness on purpose, is what the author is telling us here. So we willfully sin when we forget the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. We celebrate the gospel all the time here at Redemption Church, but most specifically this week of the Holy Week of Christ, Palm Sunday today as we celebrate Jesus walking into the city during his final week, riding on a donkey and people saying, Save us, O Lord, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right, The gospel that in Christ we are rescued, we are restored to uh, the way God wants us to be. We are saved from Satan, sin, death. We are saved from the wrath of God. You see, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that in the very first statement. He's not saying, everybody be scared of God. You better behave or else. He's saying, look, look how powerful God is. Look how gracious he is. I mean, you have to read the rest of chapter 10 that we've looked at the past couple weeks, and and actually the whole book, the whole uh, letter of Hebrews leading up to this verse, because it's not just a standalone message of be afraid of God. 
But rather, look how gracious God is that in Christ his sacrifices once for all, that we are made perfect in Christ, that verse 14 of chapter 10, a single offering, Christ, our single offering, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient once for all, that there is forgiveness of sins, that in Christ we are new people. So because of that good news, we must remember Because if we forget that good news, we will voluntarily do wrong. We will voluntarily perpetuate sin and brokenness. And that leads to fear. That leads to judgment. That leads to the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And it's coming for those who aren't in Christ. For those who hear the gospel and say, no, I don't want it. And we often forget the gospel in small ways because anytime you sin, you're forgetting the gospel. Anytime you say, I would rather have uh, this than Jesus. I would rather look at this than have Christ. I would rather uh, disobey God's commands because I think it will bring me happiness because I don't trust God. Anytime we do that, that's sin. That's wrongdoing. Anytime we offer false hope, or moralistic religion, or humanitarian do-goodism, rather than the gospel, we are perpetuating brokenness. So I don't want you to come in here today saying, look, I have doubts about Jesus. I'm here to, to seek more information about the gospel. I want to know about this God that loves me. I want to know about this Jesus that died for me. It's, it's the week of Easter. It's a good time for all of us to kind of reflect on that. I do not want you to leave this room thinking, do better, try harder, because that is perpetuating brokenness. I want you to see, I don't want you walking out of this room being like, oh, I'm so afraid I have to get right or I'm going to burn in hell forever. I'm not going to perpetuate any kind of weird, moralistic, fearful religion. But what I do want you to hear is the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners. The good news that in Christ you are made new. That in Christ alone you are forgiven of sin. That in Christ alone you are made to be who God created you to be. That in Christ alone we together are a new people for his possession, zealous for good works. That's what I want you to hear because that's the gospel. That in Christ All of chapter 10 says his sacrifice once for all. He sets apart his people as holy for holy purposes. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That is the gospel. That's what I want you to hear. That's what I want us to remember. And all of us have come in here with different baggage, with different backgrounds. And if you have walked in this room never hearing the gospel, that's what I want you to hear. If you've walked in this room hearing the gospel every day for your whole life, I want us to keep hearing it together. If you've heard a moralistic uh, religion that doesn't have Jesus in it, I want you to hear the gospel about how Jesus rescues you. If you hear that you can be a better person, do better, try harder, that serve other everybody, if there's no Jesus in it, that's not the gospel. I want you to hear the gospel. So the gospel, when we, we willfully sin, when we forget the gospel, and this leads to fearful expectation of judgment. But here's the flip side of that and the good side for you and I who are in Christ. What I want you to hear as well, secondly, is that we endure with faith when we remember the gospel. Right? So... When we forget the gospel, we willfully sin, we voluntarily uh, do wrong, we perpetuate brokenness. So like when we forget the gospel, that's what happens, and that's a fearful 
fear of judgment scenario as it should be. But secondly, we endure with faith when we remember the gospel. And this leads to a promised reward. Look what happens here in verse 32. The writer says, Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So, verse 26 and the following sentences have to be compared with verse 32 and the following sentences. Verse 26 says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that's over here, verse 32, Recall the former days after you were enlightened. So, We forget the gospel, we willfully sin. We remember the gospel, we endure with faith. After you were enlightened, is what the author says here, it leads to a promise reward. Recall the former days after you were enlightened. That means after the the Holy Spirit has ignited within your mind an understanding of the gospel, has ignited within your heart an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for you. After you have been enlightened with that truth, it's not enlightened as in, let's, you know, a couple centuries ago, go over to England and read, you know, philosophers. It's not that enlightenment. It is enlightened by the Holy Spirit in your mind, in your heart, to understand the gospel. And look, look at how it's described. I mean, this is what I love. I mean, you see, we forget the gospel, we willfully sin, and we have fear of judgment. There's no way you can dig yourself out of that hole. No matter how religious you are, how spiritual you are, how good humanitarian you are, you will have a fear of judgment on your life all of your days, and you can never dig yourself out of that hole. But over here, remember, recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Look what else he says here. He talks about compassion, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Right? So if we remember the gospel, we endure, we have joy, we exhibit compassion. What else? We have confidence. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. We talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. Confidence is something you have, like in Christ. It's not something you work for or attain or necessarily practice. It's not something you acquire. It's something that's given to you. In Christ, you have it. It's a tangible thing that just irradiates through your life. In Christ, you have confidence. So don't throw it away. You know the gospel, so cling to it and and let it just permeate every part of your being and ripple out in every aspect of your life. And so the author says, look, You remember the gospel, you will endure with faith, you will have compassion, you will exhibit joy, you will have confidence. Verse 36 goes on to say, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When you remember the gospel, you do the will of God, not the other way around. We forget the gospel when we think we can do things on our own or that apart from Christ, we can somehow maneuver God's favor. We think if I can, I mean, even right down to doing good things with wrong motives. You can open the Old Testament and say, I am going to live the Levitical law to a T. And people have done this and written books about it and at no point have paused and said, I can't do it because I'm a broken human. Thank God that Jesus did it in my place and he rescued me. That's the gospel. I don't want you to live the Levitical priesthood law. God's not told you to do that. What God has said is 
Here is my son in whom I am well pleased. He is your sacrifice. He is your your rescuer. Repent of your sin, believe in him, and go and sin no more. That's the gospel. And that is such good news. But we obey because of that good news. We don't obey to receive the love of God or the acceptance of God or belonging in God's community. We don't say, if I can not smoke, not drink, not lust, not get angry, if I cannot curse, if I cannot, if I can just not do those things, maybe God will love me. Maybe God will accept me. If I can be a better person, if I can try harder, that's not the gospel. The gospel is because you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, you therefore live life differently. You therefore obey. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says it right there in front of our faces. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You will do the will of God and receive what is promised because Christ rescues you and positions you to do that. So how does this happen for you? And I've, I've tried to try really hard. I'm trying not to yell because I feel really close to you guys. Like here, but also here. You know what I mean? I felt safe 400 feet back that way behind that wall of doom. Um, so how do we do that? I've tried to paint a picture for us that over here when we forget the gospel, we willing, willingly sin, we perpetuate brokenness in our own lives, in the lives of others, and that brings nothing but fear of judgment. And I've tried to paint a picture that over here, when we remember the gospel, I mean, when we recall the former days after you were enlightened, so, so the Holy Spirit has to enlighten your heart and mind to understand the gospel. And after he does that, you have to remember, you have to recall, and out of that comes a whole new way of living with joy and confidence and compassion and obedience. Okay, so here's these two things. How, do we, how does Jesus make this possible for us? Like if we're pausing for Palm Sunday and we, we see Jesus as a humble Savior riding on a donkey into the gates of this city and people are saying, Hosanna, save us, Lord, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have this picture of Jesus entering on Palm Sunday. How does Jesus do this for us? How does Jesus take us from forgetting the good news that God saves sinners and takes us to recalling the good news that God saves sinners so that we can live lives differently with confidence and joy and endurance? How does God do this for us? If you read the Bible from cover to cover, which I encourage you all to do, you don't have to do it in a year. You can take three years, five years, just Read the stories of God's redemption of his people from Genesis to Revelation. It starts in Genesis, of God redeeming and rescuing his people all the way to Revelation. It's God's story of him pursuing his wayward children. And we see that the author of Hebrews brings it up for us here today. Quoting the Old Testament a couple different times here. You see, um, verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of an angry God. We have to see the context of those statements. Those are quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Those are quotes from God's Old Testament law to his people. It's important for you and I to know. In context, it is God's proclamation to his people after he had rescued them out of bondage, after he had rescued them out of slavery, 
after he had set them free and was leading them to a land of promise. We have to get the timeline correct, because if you just take that verse out of context and say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, the Lord will judge his people. If you forget that that was given to God's people after he had rescued them, you forget the gospel. If you think that people are in bondage and in slavery in Egypt saying, Lord, set us free, and God is, is, is just heavy-handedly just crushing them, saying, you better get right, and then maybe I'll set you free, you don't, you don't get the gospel. God set his people free from bondage, from slavery, and said, I am your father, follow me. I will lead you to a land of promise because I love you. Now, as you go, I want you to live life differently. You're, you're going to get there. It's going to take a while. I want you to follow my, my steps. And I want, you, I, want, I want you to follow me as I've commanded you. I've, I've already set you free. That's my doing. Now, now, here's your role. I'm taking you here, but this is how I want you to be and do as, as we go. And then he throws that in there. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. So we have to understand, because I think some of us are in this room, you're not enslaved in Egypt right now. But maybe there's sin that has tangled you up and you're thinking, God, if I can just get clean. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I have so many friends uh, who aren't Christians, man. I, just, I, I, I love my non-Christian friends and people don't like coming to church because they think they have to clean themselves up before they come to church. But I, can't, I can't show up to church after what I did last week. Have you seen my Facebook post? I'm like, yeah, I did. People want to clean themselves up do better, try harder, get all polished, and then come to church. Because we forget the gospel and think that the gospel is clean yourself up because when you approach God, you don't want to be judged or fire, fury, brimstone, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is because he sets you free, you live differently. So I don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. When people are like, I'm not a Christian, well, great, I don't expect you to live like one. But once Christ saves you and rescues you, yeah, then things should be different. And if you're here today and you're struggling with sin, you, you feel in bondage to sin or despair or in bondage even to uh, religious legalism, and you're thinking it's really hard for me to let this go and just trust Christ, um, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. And there are birds chirping outside. This is just beautiful, right? Look what happens next. So we see the writer of Hebrews quotes Deuteronomy for a purpose. It's like recalling all of God's redemptive work to Israel. Well, look what else he does. He goes on to quote some more Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. You should too. It's God's word. And the writer of Hebrews is dropping Old Testament bombs right and left for you and I. Verses 37 and 38. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is a quote. Uh, uh, the writer is quoting here both from uh, Isaiah and Habakkuk. Actually, there's kind of a, a merging quote of some prophets. The prophets would write to God's people during a time of exile and oppression, a time to say, look, God has not left you or abandoned you. Uh, your sin may be part of the reason why you're suffering right now, but, but the point is to, uh, to look to God as your rescuer and, and redeemer. And so in the Old Testament, if you read the prophets and you hear these like just bizarre stories and heavy, hard stories of God's people in exile and oppression and they're suffering and they're, and, and they're looking for a deliverer, God is saying, don't bend or break, but hold fast and live 
righteously. Live the way that God wants you to live. Don't deny your faith because of hardship and oppression. And this is what the first century church was experiencing. Persecution politically, religiously. People were experiencing, I mean, you and I have it tough, man. We have to be in a hot cafeteria with no stage, right? First century, you get your head lopped off, right? So, it's not a big deal. And by the way, this is not persecution. This is construction. I don't want to equate the Board of Education with the Empire of Rome as two tra- drastically different things. So, how does Jesus make this possible for us? Jesus comes in the storyline of God's redemption of his people. God rescuing his people from uh, bondage and slavery in Egypt. God rescuing his people out of exile. That's why the writer of Hebrews is dropping Old Testament quotes right and left from Moses and Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, from Habakkuk. He is saying, look, God has always been rescuing his people. God is always faithful. He is the faithful one. Look to him. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your circumstances. Don't do better. Don't try harder. Look to the faithful God that will rescue you. That's the whole storyline of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Habakkuk, and now Hebrews. Right? You with me? This is what happens for you and I today. Jesus comes on the scene. We see that the writer in chapter 10 goes on to talk about Jesus being our perfect sacrifice, our great high priest. So Jesus not only was the high priest to mediate a relationship between God and his people, but he was actually the sacrifice himself. That never happened. A priest never sacrificed himself, but Jesus did. Jesus was the sacrifice so that our sins are taken away, but he also is the mediator between God and man, an ongoing intercession between God and man for you and I. And that's exciting. And that's good news. And that's why we celebrate Jesus. The writer goes on in chapter 12 to say, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, today we're talking about joyful endurance, talking about you forget the gospel and you willingly sin and do wrong. But when you remember the gospel, you endure with joy. So how do we do that? It's because Jesus did it first, because the writer says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So if you're here today struggling with sin, with doubts, if you're struggling with religious legalism or perfectionism, or you're just considering walking away from the faith altogether, here's what I want you to see. Perseverance is not founded on our own power and diligence, but on Christ. You can endure with joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Your circumstances may be horrible. I don't want to discount your circumstances. In fact, I want to, uh, as a friend, bring comfort to you in hard circumstances so that you can endure those hard circumstances with joy because you know that Jesus endured the cross with joy on our behalf. And we see down in verse 39, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and per, and preserve their souls. That statement is, is a good bookend for chapter 10, especially where we are today. If you sin deliberately, you fear judgment. If you remember the gospel, you endure with joy. How do we endure with joy? Verse 39, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, 
but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In Christ, you have a new identity. It's, it's not something you do, it's someone you are. We are not. He could have written that differently. It could say, you better not shrink back, because if you do, you'll be destroyed. But he doesn't say that. He says, we are not. We, we have an existential being because of Christ. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Think about this. You like Indiana Jones? Of course you do. Last Crusade, right? You know the one I'm talking about? I love all this Indiana Jones. I didn't really like the last one. It was just kind of bizarre. It's like, what's up with the alien skull? I don't get it. Um, but Last Crusade, you know, there's this great scene. They're looking for the Holy Grail. You know, you have chosen poorly. Okay. And they he comes to this chasm, this huge you know, it's toward the end of the movie, spoiler. He, he comes to this huge chasm where he has to get far to the other side. There's no, there's no visible bridge, right? And he's reading his little book that he has to take a step of faith to get out there, right? And so you know what happens? He steps, and there actually is a bridge there. You just couldn't see it, you know, because of the rocks or whatever. And what ends up happening, because he took that step of faith and walked across the bridge, he threw a little sand out there so that others could see the way to go. Right. And so that he could see his way back. Of course, you know, the movie gets weird after that. Bad guys come in there and, you know, stuff goes wild. But my point is this. For you and I, we follow Christ who has gone before us with the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And so we follow where he's going, even if we can't see it right away. We trust that Christ has gone on before. That's why we obey. It comes out of a new identity in following Christ. So you don't have to do it on your own. Just follow Jesus with others. So where do we go from here? Here's what I want us to see. Over here we have, we willingly sin when we forget the gospel. And over here we uh, endure with faith and joy when we remember the gospel. Jesus, on our behalf, comes to do what we cannot do by rescuing us as part of God's redemptive plan to set us free from bondage, to set us free from exile and oppression, uh, to call us to run with him because he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that our perseverance isn't founded in our own power and diligence, but rather Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. We have a new identity and we are following Christ. So where do we go from here very practically? I want to give you some very practical steps. I want you to walk away saying, wow, Jesus is amazing. I'm so thankful he saved me. If you're not a Christian, I want you to be like, wow, I should follow Jesus, man. This is so much better than trying to do it on my own. Some practical things I want us to do, especially if you're a believer, because this is where we're guilty. We forget the gospel constantly. If you're not a Christian, you've never heard the gospel. You can't forget something you've never heard. If you've not been enlightened, you can't forget it. But as Christians, we often forget this good news. And we slip back into our old ways of patterns of sin or patterns of legalism or patterns of prideful do-goodism. Here's what Hebrews says in verse 32. Recall the former days. So here's your homework class. Number one, recall the former days. But remember what God has done. Look back in history and see how amazing this God is. You can do that by reading the Bible. I would encourage you to read, I mean, read Genesis all the way through Revelation. Look what God has done. He's done amazing things. He's done unbelievable things. This is why Hebrews brings up the judgment of God. Even his judgment is mind-blowing. 
He floods a planet, a planet that he created out of nothing. Wow, that's incredible on so many levels. Recall the former days. Look back and see what God has done throughout redemptive history, the Bible. Tell stories, man. If you have family, get to know your family and and hear what God has done. Younger folks, connect with older folks and listen to their stories of God's redemption in their lives. I mean, there's an older pastor I would talk to, and he would share stories of God doing crazy, amazing things that happened before I was born, and it was really cool because he was there, and I was like, wow, you are a very wise man. Connect with older people. Hear their stories of what God has done. Reflect on God's work in your life. So first and foremost, your homework class to, to foster joyful endurance in your life, no matter what your struggle. First and foremost, recall the former days. Look at God's work in your life and redemptive history. Secondly, and that's from verse 32. I got verses for all these, yo. Verse 33 says this. Okay, so verse 41, recall the former days. Verse 33 says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Partnership. This is a good way to foster joyful endurance. What I mean by partnership is, is the word scripture uses is fellowship or community. That means uh, an active relational partnership, right? This is what being a Christian is all about. It's not about you and your faith with Jesus alone. It's about you and our faith with Jesus together. So partner with other believers in the gospel. God will teach you so much. I I have the great joy of being a pastor. It is one of the most humbling things in the world. I'm just like, I'm so humbled that God would save me. I'm humbled that he would give me a beautiful wife and four wonderful children. I'm humbled that he would have me be a pastor full-time for seven years, I get to meet with people who are going through some really, really hard stuff. And, and God teaches me so much. And I get to be there and witness God, God at work in other people's lives. And then I meet with people and, you know, there's I'm friends with several pastors that I can meet with. I'm friends with uh, counselors and I can say, hey, look, let me tell you about this hardship in my life. And they'll, and they'll be there to walk me through and see God's uh, redemption in my life. So partner with other believers. Because when you when you're in fellowship with other believers, you get to see God's work through them, uh, through uh, hardship, through celebrating uh, good things. You get to see great, amazing things. And it's biblical. So just partner with other believers. Can you imagine being in the first century church? And that's what the writer says. Here. He's like, look, um, some of you had prisons. Some of you had plundering. Some of you had all this bad stuff. And some of you were just partners with those that had those things happen. Not everybody was persecuted, but a lot of people were. But all the believers were friends with other believers, some of whom were persecuted. It's important. God was at work through all of those scenarios. So recall the former days. Secondly, partnership with other believers. Thirdly, this is important, stewardship. Stewardship. I'm not talking just about your money. I'm talking about what God has given you. Listen to this. Verse 34, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you know that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Stewardship. What has God given you? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's some land. Maybe it's just whatever. What has God given you? That is there for you to steward. It's there for you to enjoy, but it's also there for you to recognize that that stuff is not the end-all, be-all for you. It's something God's given you for a season because you have a greater possession elsewhere. Therefore, if your stuff gets looted for the sake of the gospel, praise God. If your stuff gets taken for the sake of the gospel or broken, if your you know, furniture gets destroyed at your community group meeting for the sake of the gospel, praise God. 
it happens, right? You're like, hey, we're having a missional community, and there goes that nice rug. Somebody spilled coffee on it. Great. For the sake of the gospel, praise God. You have a better rug in heaven. I promise you. That's a hard one for me. I'll be honest with you. We, you know, my wife and I have hosted missional communities over the years and the existence of this church. And I'd be like, man, somebody broke my stuff. Uh, you know, Jesus reminds me it's stewardship, not ownership. I don't own those things. I'm stewarding that property for the benefit of others and the glory of God, the advancement of the gospel. Praise be to Jesus. So first and foremost, recall the former days. Secondly, partnership with other believers. Third, uh, steward what God has for you for his glory and serving others for the sake of the gospel. Uh, fourthly, obedience and discipline. Verse 36 says this, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It, you need to endure. That means you need to be disciplined. And doing the will of God is obedience. And so us together need to um, encourage one another to obey the will of God, to follow Jesus, to be generous worshipers, loving one another, forgiving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, serving one another. All of the one another's that the New Testament says, just Google one another New Testament and you will have a list of like 50 things, right? We do those things out of obedience to the Lord and we have to discipline ourselves to do those things because sometimes you just don't feel like serving. You don't feel like giving. I'm lazy. Sometimes I just don't feel like praying. I don't. Sometimes I'm like, I'd rather go to sleep. So we have to discipline ourselves. And finally, so we recall the former days, partner with other believers, steward what we have, obey and be disciplined. And fifth and finally, uh, faith, verse 39. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith is not only a noun of something you have, it's a verb, it's ongoing relational trust, it's an act of worship. And so let me encourage you, friends, as we uh, want to have a life of joyful endurance, be not distracted uh, by the hardship in your life, whether it be uh, a hot cafeteria, financial hardship, relational hardship, uh, religious persecution, but rather look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and run with endurance after him uh, because he has with joy endured the cross on our behalf. And so together may we be those who recall our former days, partnering together, stewarding what we have to obey and be disciplined in faith and worship. Sound like a deal? That's great. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, God, I do pray that you uh, would continually uh, work out your good pleasure in our lives. God, during times of hardship, we would not uh, crush under the weight of persecution, that we would not uh, buckle under the weight of hardship, that we would not shrink back because of doubts and fears. God, that we would not exhaust ourselves with guilt and shame and fear. But Lord, rather we would see you in all of your glory and all of your power and all of your majesty and holiness and all of your grace. And God, that we would be so awestruck, we would worship you. God, that by your spirit, you would um, change our minds to dwell on you. God, that you would shape our hearts to love you. God, that you would shape our hands to serve you and your people well. God, that you would remind us constantly of our new identity because of Christ, that you would remind us of our new way of living with joy and compassion and endurance. God, that we would do these things because of the gospel and not do these things trying to 
create a new gospel. God, I thank you for the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners, the good news that in Christ we are rescued and made new, that we have forgiveness of sin, that we have healing from brokenness. Uh, God, I pray for my friends in this room uh, who are dealing with hardship, whether it be physical, emotional, social, if it's sin or financial hardship, uh, whatever it may be, God, I pray uh, your hand of comfort upon those uh, who are struggling. And God, I pray that you would give great joy in the midst of hardship. And God, that in all things you would receive the glory, that we would receive great joy as your people, and that the good news of Jesus would advance from our lives out to the nations. We ask in Christ's good and holy name. Amen.